Welcome to the East Memorial Ministries podcast. This podcast is the central hub for all audio publications of East Memorial Baptist Church out of Prattville, Alabama. So grab a pen, paper, and your copy of God's Word, and let's study God's truth together. Okay, everybody, we're in Genesis chapter 1, and last week we started, and it was really introductory, Genesis 1. Um, this week uh, is going to be very similar, and uh, we're still going to be kind of introducing the, the idea of the importance of Genesis 1, especially Genesis 1 through 3. Uh, so uh, uh, good to see the Miller family walking in. If you guys don't know the Miller family, uh, you'll get to know them, but uh, and uh, have some other bargers coming in and yeah. Holly, soon to be married. Parker, Parker's here. All right. Come on down. All right. <clears throat> okay, so Genesis chapter 1. Last week, uh, we were talking through um, some key points, really foundational points to consider uh, as we opened up Genesis and just looked through the first few verses there. Um, we created what I called a base, a floor, a foundation uh, to order to build our house on. We're building uh, the rest of Scripture on top of this foundation. Uh, and if we don't have this foundation right or don't understand it, then uh, we are susceptible to collapse. And we can see that in our society. We can see it in churches all throughout who have divorced themselves from the Old Testament because it's hard uh, maybe to explain or uh, whatever they bring up excuse-wise. Uh, uh, but we understand that we see the implications of um, sin and death and the need of a Savior all throughout the Old Testament. And starting in Genesis 3.15, we see uh, basically the foretelling of the Messiah coming. That is the one who will crush uh, the head of um, Satan or uh, uh, bruise him and crush uh, the the head there. And that is the foretelling of the Messiah who will come uh, of woman. Uh, We talked about how Eve thought her child Cain was going to be the man child, the one that was promised to be the Messiah. And then we see that Cain killed Abel. So clearly he was not the Messiah. So all throughout the Old Testament, we see Savior-like people um, that that are raised up by God himself, leading up to David and the the throne of David, the lineage of David, where Jesus Christ would come and reign. And so uh, it all points to Jesus Christ as Messiah, but also Colossians, as we've studied last year, points to Jesus being creator as well. So um, we talked through the foundational elements of that last week. We also talked about God in the sense that in Genesis 1-1, the Bible says God created. And so we talked about God being there um, before time existed. And we really spoke to um, matter and time and space and, um, and, and just kind of how Genesis 1 basically uh, explains all of that, that science wants to bring up. Um, The third point that we talked about last week was that God had no beginning, which was going back to how could creator God just be? Exodus 3, 14, when asked what his name was, he said, my name is I am. All right, I am. So that indicates the fact that he always has been. He always will be. Uh, We are created, but God was. God is. He always has been. Psalm 90 verse 2, before the mountains were brought forth or ever uh, you had formed the earth and the world from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. So God exists in eternity 
and he didn't have a beginning. And so we kind of ended there last week. We did talk about the parable, uh, or not the parable, the story in Mark 4, where the calming of the sea took place. He's in the boat with the disciples, and he stands up, and he basically proves to them that he is the creator because he controlled the winds, he controlled the seas, and they were able to see that this man, that they already saw his teacher and a uh, miraculous uh, healer, claimed to be the Lord. Now they saw the power of God in creation and they were fearful of Jesus who was in the boat with them. We also discussed that that passage was a prophecy being fulfilled of Psalm 107 verse 23 through 31. The verses 23 through 31 which declared basically it was the story of the creator uh, basically dumbfounding those in the boat. There's this sea-like uh, rage that's going on in that, in that passage and they all looked to him and realized that he is the creator. That was a depiction um, of Psalm 107 or I should say a prophecy fulfilled in Mark from the scriptures. And so it had to be that the disciples doubted. It had to be that the disciples got angry or upset that he was sleeping, but that he came to calm the winds and seas, and they're just like mind blown, right? That had to take place so that they can continue to point back to the Old Testament, which would have been their their scriptures, and to prove that this is this is the God who we've been waiting for, the Messiah who who's been declared who would come. So God, let's go back to that point. <clears throat> He's infinite. <clears throat> I want to pick up this morning where we left off last week. And so if you'll open up Genesis chapter 1 with me, we're going to look at 1 through 3 this morning. And hopefully we'll be able to get into some uh, theories that try to debunk six-day creation. If not, that'll be where we go next week. But uh, in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, the Bible says, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth too. The earth was formless and void, <clears throat> Excuse me, and darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was moving over the surface of the waters. And then God said, Let there be light, and there was light. Okay, so in these three verses, uh, basically our understanding of these three verses will um, basically, it basically shapes and fashions our theology all across the scriptures. Okay, so in Genesis 1, I know you're not looking at a Hebrew text, but the word God there in Genesis chapter 1 actually means one, but not just one, but more than one. All right. So if you were to look at that Hebrew word, it means one, but more than one. So God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, that makes up what we know in, in theology world as the Trinity. It's the Trinity. You'll never find the word Trinity in the Bible, but we have come to um, describe the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit being one as the Trinity, the three, the three and one. And so in this passage, But I would even say, and we're going to get there, but in the first three chapters, we see that God, as the Father, there in the very beginning, and then we just read uh, in verse 2 that the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the deep. We, We see that the Holy Spirit's there. We'll go to Colossians, but also in the Genesis account, we see that Jesus being the us that is described there is a it's another basically unpacking of, of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit being there at the very beginning of time. So it's not that Jesus came in the future. Jesus has always been. The Holy Spirit didn't just come at Pentecost. The Holy Spirit has always been. 
But somebody asked me at the end of the lesson last week if the Holy Spirit moved in the hearts of people like he does today. Like going back in, let's just go back to Adam. Let's go back to Abraham, Moses. And the answer would be no, the Holy Spirit didn't live or reside within. That was one of the great mysteries that Paul was trying to explain in the New Testament. That, that, the, that the God, the creator of the universe would live and dwell within the believers. That was a mystery that they wouldn't be able to comprehend. So the Holy Spirit always existed but he spoke in and through prophets. And so that's why you had Moses going up on the mountain and coming back and giving a word for the people. However, that has been damaged along the way that everybody thinks they're a prophet walking around because the Holy Spirit lives within them. So everybody has a word. I mean, I don't know about you, but I grew up in an independent Baptist church, not charismatic, but might as well have been in many areas because I would have these people come up to me and tell me a word from the Lord. And basically it was a prophecy for my life. And I'm like, well, I haven't heard that same prophecy yet. So when that happens and the Holy Spirit communes with my spirit and tells me that, then I will obey. But just because you had a dream and well, whatever you ate last night gave you this weird vision and you're going to tell me that it's a word from the Lord... Like, what makes you so special? Like, why did God speak to you? And so we believe that the prophets in the days of God speaking through his people um, in that way is finished. And so we have the word of God, which is complete, and we study it, and we have preachers who preach. But if Brother Glenn ever stands in that pulpit and says, I have a word from the Lord, and this is what God wants me to tell you, and there's no anybody else out there that hears this same word, and we're supposed to go tell everybody, that's not the way God works today, okay? So it's fulfilled. The prophecy is fulfilled. The word of God is complete. It's accurate. It's whole. And so we are, when Brother Glenn stands there to preach, or I or whoever else, we're teaching from the word of God that we have before us. Um, so in, back in Genesis 1, the Trinity's always been there. Colossians 1.16, we do know that the Bible says, we studied this, this last year, all of Colossians, but for by him all things were created, that's Jesus, both in the heavens and on the earth, visible, invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been, cre have been created through him and for him. So not only was the creation made for Jesus Christ, it was created by Jesus Christ. It points to him as creator. Colossians 2.9, next chapter, says, For in him all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. So he is God incarnate. And, and we've studied that even over Christmas. We had some lessons in that. Um, in Colossians 2 verse 3, so back up a few verses. I just read 2.9, but in 2.3, we were told about Jesus that he is he in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Jesus, who is God, knows everything. He is infinite. In other words, you could say Jesus is God. So the third member of the Trinity is the Holy Spirit. The grace of the Lord, 2 Corinthians 13, 14, in his conclusion, Paul says, The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. <clears throat> um. That's the third, and that's just one verse pulled out, but that's just, that's the third member of the Trinity that is identified with being the Godhead. So in Genesis chapter one, verse one, what you may hear people say, especially if you are around scholars, you know, even my own children, um, you know, they'll have questions about this. We go, our church goes through answers in Genesis curriculum, at least in this cycle. And so we're using that curriculum in our children's Sunday school classes, and some of the adult classes use it as well, um, in order to combat the 
crazy teachings that they are learning in school. And then we have some that are in public school. We have a lot that are homeschooled. We have some that are private schooled. Some that are Christian schooled. And you, I say that because just because they have the name Christian doesn't mean they're Christian. Um, but the influence, we could say, is hopefully predominantly that. But we teach through Answers to Genesis to lay a strong foundation in our children's lives about the beginning. And we do that because if we don't get the beginning right, we're not going to get the end right. We're not going to understand salvation. It becomes a all about me type of soteriology, doctrine of salvation, which is wrong. Um, and so we do that. And I'm going to pull a little bit from their curriculum um, as we kind of go through this. Uh, and this is, again, answers in Genesis. Um, but one of the things that, that they bring out and they emphasize strongly, I think they just finished the flood in their studies right now. But one of the things that they bring out is, can God really have no beginning? Because that's one of the things that people will try to debunk. Now, we talked about this last week. People don't want to believe in the God of the Bible because that means that there's a sovereign over them. And if there's a sovereign, that means there's submission that has to take place. And if they can get around there being a sovereign head, there being a creator, then they can get around being subordinate to a, a creator. And we can live our life the way we want to live it and not be um, subject to a higher authority. And so that's why when we scratch our heads because of what they say they believe, which takes greater faith, I believe, than um, the, the faith that we have, the spiritual faith, is because they want to be blinded. Well, first of all, they are blinded, but they want to be because they don't want to believe in a God as the Bible teaches it. So the God of the Bible. There are those who struggle with this question. They say, it's silly to believe in God because no one could just have no beginning and just always exist. Um, I don't know if y'all um, uh, listened to Ken Ham um, talk in any of this. John MacArthur has a really good book called The Battle for the Beginning. And uh, especially his opening chapters are very, very powerful. Even his sermon series in Genesis, you can go listen to that. Very powerful. I think the first two are just uh, on evolutionary, evolutionary or scientific theories. Um, very, very good. Lots of study that went into that. Um, but uh, usually they, they'll say, usually those who let um, or believe that the universe just came into existence by chance as a result of naturalistic evolutionary processes um, are the same ones who will say that's silly to believe that there's a God. So they usually go hand in hand. Uh, if people do not believe in God, then what we need to ask them is where matter came from and where space came from. Remember, we talked about that last week. Uh, I mentioned to you a scientist uh, who really, I think it was back in the... Uh, 1800s, 1862, somewhere in that Ken Ham's study on Genesis 1-1 and listening to him say it is much better than hearing me say it. But he, he says that Genesis 1-1 basically tells us all of this. In the beginning, that's time. 
God, that's force, created, that's action, the heavens, that's space, and the earth, that's matter. And so right there, Genesis 1-1, we have all of those five ideas, scientific ideas that Herbert Spencer says we must have in order to prove science or anything um, being evaluated by science. Um, so with that, these people that would say it's silly to believe there's a God are also the ones that believe that the earth and all that we see just came about by chance. So we need to ask them, where did matter come from? Where did space come from? And many people will say that matter has just, has just always existed. They'll say it, there, there was some sort form of matter that's just always been. So we say God has always been, and they say some form of matter has always existed. And so this, what this means is that they have faith, that they have faith, and it's a faith that lacks credibility um, scien scientifically. Um, that matter, they, they have faith that matter just exists. Um, they basically believe in eternal matter. Whereas we have faith, and ours is an objective faith, an objective faith that makes sense because we can observe it, that God exists. We can see creation. We can observe what has been formed. And so, you know, I think it was my son Chandler last night when we were talking through this, he was asking me about um, how they even come up with these millions and millions of years, this idea of millions and millions of years. Like, are they just pulling? Because uh, they were learning in one of their science classes that uh, basically, no, they learned from Nathan and Susan Turner last week because their science class says something else. But through Nathan and Susan in Growing Grace, they learned that these people, and Nathan is a scientist, um, you could say, a chemist. Um, he, he would say that people pull these numbers out and it just proves that they don't know what they're talking about. Because they can't prove any of it. But what they will do is they will take what they can see that's observable now. And they will watch it over their lifetime. And then pass their notes on and watch over their lifetime. And because of the rate of, I don't know, the growth of rocks or, you know, uh, minerals that turns into rocks. They will take that time frame and extend it out as far as they can. And say, okay, it has to be millions and millions and millions of years old. And that's how these, um, these rocks formed into mountains or the ranges and all this stuff. And they'll completely not even pay attention to the flood account and the clearly evident um, uh, material around them that shows that there has been shifts in the earth, cataclysmic shifts. Um, but what they will do is they'll measure for what they can see. But what they're not understanding is that the Bible says God created the heavens and the earth and he goes through the creation account and he created things fully mature. He created trees, fully trees, and plants, fully plants, just like he created man and woman, fully man and woman, um, able to have babies. He didn't create Adam as an uh, embryo. Um, he didn't create Adam as an infant. He created Adam as a man. And so uh, mountain ranges, he created those. The oceans, he formed the lines of the oceans. He created and carved out the rivers. And so from then is their evolutionary processes well, yeah, things evolve. We don't evolve from animals, but things evolve in the sense that water takes away cliffs or creates cliffs. I mean, we can see what wind does. We can see what natural elements do. So yes, things change over time, but that's not how it was at the beginning. And so they go down this road that basically it still requires faith and it's not observable. Um, so we must ask them to show <clears throat> or ask them in showing tiny evidence that matter by itself 
uh, how it could make anything. Um, because it, it hasn't ever been proven that matter by itself can make anything. Um, they can't give such evidence. Because what we all understand is that it takes intelligence to make things. I mean, you can go outside and see the planes flying around. And nobody is going to, in their right mind, say, matter created that plane. Just over time. I mean, nobody. Trains, automobiles, computers. We all understand that it took intelligence. And man is intelligent. Um, but it's much more reasonable and scientific to believe in intelligence than matter being eternally present. But they, they don't go down that road. Why? Because there's a creator and they want to avoid that at all costs. Um, Romans one twenty. I think I read this last week. I know I read it Wednesday night when I was preaching. You hear Brother Glenn read this a lot. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made so that they are without excuse. They're without excuse. We, we were made to see, observe, observe what has taken place and it points to um, the faith that we have in the creator, which is objective faith. So, um. You know, I think I think it's interesting because even though they believe man is intelligent and this is kind of why they go down this track. It's it doesn't take a rocket scientist to understand that flowers and trees and animals and people are much more complicated than anything man has created. Um, Think about the just one cell, one cell that God created. Um, And we have, I don't know. Thousands of cells that make up our bodies. Um, possibly, I mean, I, I, I guess it's even trillions. I don't even know how many cells. Some of you may know because you've studied that. But we have so many cells and each one of those cells is like a little computer. It, it's mind-boggling if you study it. And, and from those cells, there is a cell work, a program, you could say, of like a DNA molecule system. And so... From one cell, they can track everything about you, in a sense. And that cell can even copy itself. And we can copy ourselves. The trees copy themselves. Plants copy themselves. And so what has man created that is able to do even as much as one cell? Nothing. And so, yes, man is intelligent. And has been able to do a lot. But it is not even fathomable to the intelligence of the creator of this universe. So to say that just some sort of matter that's just floating around out there in eternity past was able to form all that we have today. We understand this is just silly. It's silly. But we also are. um, We also have a sovereign Lord that we submit to. And so. Because we have repented of sins, hopefully, all of you, and are truly saved, it's not hard for us to accept this because we understand sin and salvation and the Creator and where we stand before Him. If it took intelligence to make simple things like planes, so simple, or cars, or computers, or the iPad that I'm reading from this morning, then took a greater intelligence to create what we observe in creation. And that's the God of the Bible. That's what creation says, 
Or that's what the Genesis accounts says, who he says that created all this. Um, you know, it's also interesting to, to note that when we get to Genesis 3, and I did say we aren't going to go this slow the entire time, but I want to introduce this before we can really get our head around what we're going to be studying. But in Genesis chapter 3, it's the fall of man. And so we know this. We know the story. It's foundational to sin and uh, the need for salvation. It, it's interesting to know that we can honestly say that God created all the trees, all the plants, all the flowers. You know, my kids will ask me stuff, They'll, especially when they were younger, they would say, well, did, did God create this house? And it's like, well, well, no, man built the house, but where do we get the materials for the house? You know, and so you can go, you can always trace it back to God created. And, um, you know, even man and his intelligence, the limited intelligence that we have, God gave that to us. And so we can go back, but even the trees and the plants and the flowers, they copy themselves and and so we can say that God created every tree, flower, and plant, even the ones that are taken by humans and, and um, you know, farmed out. <laughs> it's still God who created the trees. But it's interesting to note, because of the fall of man in Genesis chapter 3, we must understand that the world today has greatly changed uh, from the way that it was originally created. It's not the same world. We put sod out yesterday. Um, Let me just tell you, 18 pallets of sod in squares, not rolls, pallets of sod. Me and the four boys and Abigail helped a good bit as well. She always gave some energy. She'd boost us. We have 18 more pallets coming Monday or Tuesday. I'm not looking forward to that. (laughs) Um, But me and the boys and Abigail put that sod out yesterday and this morning, I'd been watering it all night. And this morning, I was watering it. And this, and this morning, I had my coffee. And I'm looking out, and I'm like, man, that looks so pretty. Instant yard. It wasn't instant, but it is there. Instant yard, the trees. You know, we got trees behind our house. And as beautiful as that scene was to me, it is nothing in comparison to the way God created originally the creation. I mean, I don't, we can't even fathom what the Garden of Eden looked like. But, Everything is going to go back to the way God originally created it. So that's where everything's headed. We need a Savior. It's going back. And so, you know, I mentioned chiasm last week. I even talked about this Wednesday night. Matthew brought this up in the Men of the Word. That's a word. Uh, it's, a, it's, it's a Hebrew uh, literature form of the way they would write things. And so there was order to the way they would write. Some of you may be writers in here. Maybe you like to write poetry or songs. I know Wes likes to write songs. And there's a form and a fashion to the way we write, especially when we're writing poetry or when a teacher is preparing to teach a lesson. There's a way to reemphasize certain points throughout and kind of bring it home. Well, that's the way they would write in, in, in their own form uh, in the Hebrew uh, writings. And it was, it was called a, a chiasm. It looks like a big X, the Greek capital letter X, and it's chi, which is, I believe, um, Maybe why it was called that. But there's also another form of the chiasm, which is almost like an arrow. All right. And so there are some, and I, and I, I think it's a great point. Some theologians that believe the entire Bible is, is in, written in the form and fashion of a chiasm, which means that there is a beginning, there is a peak, and then there is an ending, which points back to the beginning. And so... Um, I mean, we can see that. We've, we've looked a little bit in Revelation two years ago, uh, end of the year before, 
Um, and we were looking through the churches, the letters to the churches there. We didn't really get into the prophecy uh, form of the revelation. I was going to go back to that, but I decided it'd be better to go back to Genesis and let's go through the creation and then we can hop to the end and kind of see how the two relate. But there's also um, theologians that believe Genesis is in, a, in the form of a chiasm. And so we're going to talk through that a little bit. I know that some of you are like, this really doesn't help me. But I do think that it'll help you understand the importance of the revelation of God's word through multiple different men, but one author, and that's God. And it's orderly because God is a God of order. And we see that even in the creation account. We're going to be unfolding this in the next few weeks, even the way he created. But it's not the original creation that we have today that was originally created. And it will be, once again. But when you think about it, if we're amazed at the wonderful things that man makes. I mean, I didn't make the grass, but I was patting myself on the back this morning. When I was looking at it, I don't know, however many uh, squares of sod they put on one pallet. Chandler asked me that yesterday, and I said, I don't know, go count them. (laughs) I don't know, a lot, a lot. Um, And... uh, I'm sitting there looking at that and I'm thinking about just all the technology. Wednesday night, I preached a message on technology and our response to it when it comes to wisdom and how we search for wisdom. And when you think about all that man created, we can be amazed. I mean, there's some things that come out and it's like, wow, that's really cool. I'm still waiting for the flying cars, but you know, uh, on the mass market at least. But when we are so amazed at what God has done through men, then how much more glory or how much great glory should we be giving to the one, the creator who made man and who made all things that we see in creation and even man that created. I mean, this is the God of the Bible. This is the one who we should be giving the glory to. It's not the scientist who are helping to produce all the great technologies that we have. You know, I pick with Nathan. I'm picking on Nathan. He's not in here this morning. He's down with the youth. But he's a chemist. I don't know if you know this about Nathan. You would never know it about Nathan. Um, But he's like a goofball. He's a ham. But you get him in the science lab, which I've never actually seen him in the lab. But I've heard him talk about math. And I don't even like talking to him because um, I'm not good at math. You can bring out some problems and he's like, oh, da, 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 and all of a sudden you're just like, okay, dude, you have a whole other level to you that I didn't know about. But, uh, but Nathan, um, you think of this goofball who can go in there and blow the minds of people. And what he does is he is, creates formulas. If you smell the nasty smell in Prattville, the paper mill, that's basically Nathan at work, um, you could say, because he has a defoaming process that keeps the foam down and all these chemical plants uh, where it doesn't just foam up and every, you can't control the chemicals that you're trying to produce. That's it in a nutshell. Ask Nathan, he'll give you some scientific terms. Um, <laughs> he may not even know what he does, really, but uh, defoamer. But when you think about all that man has been able to accomplish, it should point us as believers to the one who has given us the intelligence to do so. We should never worship man. We should never worship the things that man creates. And when I say that, we all tend to worship a lot of things in our life without us even realizing it. We worship technology and I don't mean just electronics. 
I mean things that make our life simple, makes our life feel like we are smarter. It makes us feel like we have finally arrived. And, and I can tell, I told the church this Wednesday night, I have a uh, software system, it's called Logos, and I can get on there and I can pull up the Greek and I can pull up the Hebrew with my cursor and I can go across it and it'll translate it. And it'll tell me all throughout the scriptures where all those same usages of that word is. That makes the process a whole lot easier, but it makes me lazy. It makes me lazy because of those Greek and Hebrew classes that I took in seminary, I don't really, because of my software, it's just like calculators. You can, you know, never mind. I won't tell Nathan that. But um, you, you can go around and it's like, oh, I don't need to know that. I, I can dump that out of my brain because I can use it in my software. We do that with so many things and we think we're the wiser for it. But we're not because we're not putting in the time and the effort and the studies it points back to who's the ultimate wise one. It's God. God is the wise one. He's the one that looks down from the heavens and sees man, the little peons, and all their brilliance, and it can squish them like a bug. He's the one who, again, outlined where the oceans are and the, and the rivers and the seas. This is the one who we should be worshiping and studying. And so we didn't get to this morning get very far into I don't really want to start it yet this morning because of the time but I was going to get into allegorical or literal old earth creation or young earth creationist and gap theory um, those are all some things that people like to use to debunk six day literal creation um, but what I will do is uh, just kind of give you a little teaser for next week since we have a few more minutes um, in Genesis Obviously, we hopefully our church believes in a six day, literal 24 hour day creation. Um, and if you don't believe in that, this probably isn't the church for you because we believe in a six day, literal creation. And when I say that, it doesn't mean you don't have a place here, but you're going to hear messages on it. And we don't really have any wiggle room on that um, because we believe that the Bible is literal. And if we can't take that literally, then when do we start taking the Bible literally? And a lot of people say, well, maybe after Genesis 11. Maybe Genesis 12. And it's like, okay, all right, so then when do, do we not take homosexuality, literally, and his seriousness for that, or sin in general? Uh, where do we start not compromising the Scripture? So we are very literal uh, in uh, six-day creation. Um, we believe that um, it is uh, really the only interpretation that makes sense. Uh, there are those who try to... Um, uh, take a view of a gap theory or uh, creation evolution is, has been popular in the last few decades as well, where Christians are trying to secede to science and say, okay, well, maybe, maybe God created and then just basically let evolution take over, maybe walked away. Maybe he did that and he couldn't help it, or maybe he did it on purpose. Um, there's also this gap theory idea where Christians try to take Genesis 1, 1 through 3, especially one, one to one, two. And they try to align it with the millions and millions of years that science says had to be for, for all that we see to be. And so they'll say things like, well, Genesis 1 and Genesis 2 are separated by this giant gap. We don't even know how large. Um, and what they'll try to say is in Genesis 1, 1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That verse 2 is not a description of that, but verse 2 is this time period where Satan and his demons fell and it was extremely dark and um, treacherous on the earth. So verse 2, the earth was formless and void and darkness was over the surface of the deep. So basically God created it and there was this time lapse of like utter darkness. 
And then they'll pick up in verse 3 by saying, then God said, let there be light. And there was light. So then all of a sudden God takes back over and he's conquered and he's going to create. We're going to get into that more in depth next week. But uh, there's and there's other theories around the gap theory. Sometimes they put gaps in between each verse. Um, And sometimes, uh, you know, they'll take and this isn't gap, but they'll take the six day creation and say day doesn't just mean 24 hours. Uh, maybe, you know, Second Peter he talks about, you know, to the Lord, a day is a thousand years. And so they'll say, okay, well, let's apply that here and say that uh, maybe it took a thousand years for each day. But um, that's problematic um, in and of itself. Um, and Exodus chapter 3 actually debunks that. And we'll look at this next week. But it actually talks about the days, literal days. And there's no place in the scriptures that day is ever actually used for a thousand years. Um, The only place that you could pull out day is the day of the Lord, which would not be one day. Um, But that's not the same as the word that's used here in Genesis. I'm just telling you all this because you've probably heard these things. Maybe you've heard your kids talk about this, or maybe it's something that you've looked into as well. The third thing that we'll look at next week is uh, poetic or mythological view of Genesis Chapter one, which I believe is, they're all crazy to me. But this one is basically, it's all allegory. There is no um, actual literal concept here. There is no real Adam, um, which means there is no Christ. I mean, Genesis chapter five, I mean, Romans chapter five, um, Adam being the old man, Christ, the new, and just the relationship there doesn't even make sense if it's not literal in Genesis chapter one. So we'll talk through some of those things next week and, um, and try to get our heads around the theories. Not that we don't, I don't suspect that any of you actually struggle with that. And if you do, um, then maybe this will help you um, kind of get your head on a little bit. Um, because maybe you've only really just paid attention to some of the other things. Or maybe the arguments that you hear, you've tried to compromise that like some Christian scientists will do. Um, but I want to tell you from the very beginning, it is very important that we take Genesis 1, 1 through 3 especially, very literally. We need to look at it from that lens. And then the question will be, can a believer, a true child of God who has been taught these things, believe that it, it took thousands of years or even a day being a thousand years? And I think that, that it's a good question to talk about. We'll open that up for, for a debate, or not debate, but... Uh, Well, yeah, sure, whatever. Um, Hopefully next week. So, all right, guys, this is important. Hopefully you've been able to study Genesis 1 through 11. I've encouraged you to read through those chapters. Reread them, read through them. And then we'll get into patriarchal history in chapter 12. But 1 through 11 uh, is very foundational to the rest of the word of God. You can't waste, you're not gonna be wasting your time reading it and rereading it and trying to get your head around it. Uh, Study, if you've got a study Bible or even commentaries, um, do that. If you have question marks on who to study, or if you don't have commentaries, but there are some free resources online, um, you have a question mark about them, ask me, and I'll try to point you in the right direction. Matthew Henry's commentary is all uh, basically free online, and for the most part, uh, very trustworthy. Um, so, But you can, you can talk to me about that, and I'll try to point you in the right direction. Um, all right, guys, well, let's go to the Lord in prayer, and then we'll be dismissed. Father, we love you, and uh, we thank you for your word that we have before us, that we can actually open it and study it. Uh, we know it's been preserved uh, through all of these uh, centuries, and um, we are thankful for your inspiration through these men writing uh, this word. We know that every 
uh, word written in this Bible is important for us. Every book, every, uh, every letter. Um, and God, we, we just ask that you uh, give us a hunger and a desire to study it because you are uh, the source of wisdom. You are wisdom. You are holy and righteous. And God, as believers, we want to grow and we want to learn. Um, yes, so that we can defend our faith, but more than that, so that we can just um, have confidence in uh, the God in whom we serve, that we can worship you, God, that we can uh, try to win people to the Lord. We understand that you are the sovereign one, even in salvation, that you save those whom you desire to save, that you uh, use leaders in this world, even evil ones, uh, for your good and for your purpose and for your plan. And so we, we recognize you as sovereign. We recognize you, God, as the one who uh, holds all things together. And, um, but God, we, we also recognize that you've called us to be ambassadors for you. Uh, and in order to do that, we must be students of the word of God. And so may we be diligent to do that. May we teach our children and our families um, the importance of this and teach them the Bible not just Sunday school lessons, but the theology behind the Bible, what the message of the Bible is. And ultimately is that we are sinners. We need a Savior. And that Savior is Jesus Christ. And God, you've promised to, um, uh, to, to take us home one day, to create a new heaven and a new earth. But God, you've in the meantime called us to be witnesses for you. We are glad you joined us today. If you have any questions about what was discussed on today's podcast, send us a message on Facebook. Email us at info at eastmemorial.org or call our church office at 334-365-7500. Thanks for listening.